following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. How many of you, I've got a question for you. How many of you have managed perfect attendance, perfect attendance? Now we're not talking about grading on a curve here, okay? We're talking about perfect attendance for one full year at some point in your life at school. Like it's nothing, huh, BJ? I never had perfect attendance, ever. Does that mean you're better than me? That's just what I want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, BJ's like, perfect attendance for 13 years. Thank you very much. All right. How about this one? The job? Two years. Two years on the job. Perfect attendance. Woo! All right. Very, very nice. Very good. Eddie, put your hand down. Good grief. All right. And how about, how about this one? The golf course? The golf course? Um, Walmart? How many here perfect attendance at Walmart this past two weeks? All right. I knew there's a few of you. I knew there's a few of you out there. Now, here's the next question. How many of you, you could, and I might not even brought up the one specifically for what you have had perfect attendance in. How many of you have received some level of reward for that perfect attendance at some point? Anybody? Got a few of you? Got a few of you? Okay. Okay. Very, very nice. Here's another question for you. Will there be a special place in heaven for people who had perfect church attendance? You think there's going to be like their own little corner of paradise, all right, where everything's on schedule and they're always, are there going to be schedules in heaven? There's no time. I don't know. If you're late to everything, you're going to love heaven. No schedules. All right? I don't think there probably will be a special place for perfect. Now, I don't know that. I don't read anything about it in Revelation or in Daniel or in Paul's words about heaven or Jesus' words about heaven. I could be completely and totally wrong. But I don't think that there's going to be a place, especially in heaven, for those who never, ever missed Sunday school, worship service, youth group, VBS, camp, all right? You can just go right through the list. We call it midweek, Wednesday night. You can just keep on going right through that list. If that's not going to be, why do we get, we're going to, oh, we're looking at a preacher passage here, folks. Are you ready for this one? Hebrews chapter 10, the first part of verse 25, any, any preacher worth their salt? going to preach on this one sometime. Are you ready? Just the first part of the verse. Do not forsake the gathering together, as is the habit of some. All right? What they're talking about is church. The author of Hebrews is talking about church. Do not forsake gathering together. So, But if there is no perfect attendance reward, why did the author of Hebrews put that in there for us? To get the reason why, we have to look at the rest of the story. We have to look at the rest. You have to look at the context, Mike. Okay. The context. I mean, that's kind of an inside joke. Context. All right. Anytime you're looking at 
interpreting scripture, you look at what's going on around the verse you're trying to figure out. And if you look at the entire book of Hebrews, it can be summed up pretty quickly in this way. Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the priests. He's he's better than the old system of sacrifice. He's better, he's better, he's better. And because of that, because Christ is better, we can have confidence in him and his promises. That's the large, grand, very quick summary of the book of Hebrews. Now to look more specifically, we need to look at more than just the first part of verse 25. If you're in Hebrews chapter 10, it'll be near the end of your Bible. We're going to look at James quite a bit too today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, make sure you do. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, but instead of looking at just verse 25, let's bounce back to verse 23. All right, and this is what it says. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Remember that. This is, Jesus is better. We can have confidence because of him. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's two words in those three verses that jump off the page at me. And believe it or not, it's not the assembling together, ecclesia. That's not. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a second. The words that jump off the page to me are is the words encourage. First of all, be encouraging to one another. All right? Literally, the word encouraging there means to come alongside someone or to call someone. Now, you got to understand, they did not have U.S. cellular back then, okay? A call was not picking up a phone or AT&T. Calling was meeting with someone, getting together with someone for the purpose of coming alongside them and encouraging them. All right? But there's another word that jumps off the page before that one. Let us stimulate one another to good deeds. The word stimulate in the Greek is a very, very strong word. It's it's almost a violent type of word. Meaning, it's kind of pulled from the Proverbs. All right? Solomon, the King Solomon, the author of those. And it's this, to sharpen one another. Anybody here good at sharpening a knife? I'm going to put my hand down. I am horrible at sharpening a knife. It's more dull before I'm done than it was when I started, all right? But I've watched people who are good at it, and I'm glad I'm not the knife. Just let me put it that way, because it does not look fun. And it says, come together and stimulate one another to good deeds. Okay, so encouraging and sharpening one another. You know, there's a problem, and the problem is this. This happens very little, if at all, in most big churches. And I know what you're you're thinking. When I just say big church, your mind immediately goes to... It's like when we go to a conference every other year down in Dallas, and we go to this... I can't remember the name of that church building that we go to, all right? But it is... you, You sit in this place, and there's over a thousand people there, and it feels somewhat empty, 
all right? You're talking about 2,500, 3,000 people that sit in this and in this auditorium, and you're like, oh, that's what you're talking about with big church. Do you know where people begin to lose connections with others, how big the group has to be? More than 75. Did you know that, that in terms of churches throughout our nation, a 75-person church is quite large? So when I say that there's a problem of this stimulating one another to good deeds, of encouraging one another, and how that can be sometimes difficult in a big church, folks, I'm talking about a church our size. Everything has changed in our culture because of wheels, okay? And, and I'm not talking about big wheels. I'm not even talking about the wheel being invented and thrown on a wagon so many years ago. No, I'm talking about the automobile wheels, okay? 70 years ago, 70 years ago, there was a church here in Deering, Kansas, Deering Christian Church. This church has been around a little while, okay? 70 years ago, the attenders of Deering Christian Church how many of those attenders do you believe lived outside of about a five to six mile radius of the church? Very, very few. Because wheels weren't a big part of life yet. Wheels have changed everything. And now if we were to look at the span of what people are here on a regular basis how big that circle is, I'm guessing it's bigger than a five-mile diameter or something like that these days, all right? What amounts to is coming together from this large regional area and seeing people that we very rarely see throughout the week. And what happens in a big church is we can become a people of casual acquaintanceship. In other words, hey, I mean, you, you know how it works, don't you? You probably did it this morning. Did somebody ask you how you were? What was your answer? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. What you're really saying and what I'm saying is, um, I don't really want to tell you how I'm feeling because you don't have time to listen and I don't really have time to tell you about it. Hey, how you doing? Good. Okay. How you doing? Wonderful. Every now and then somebody's honest. Not that great. And you're like, oh, okay, talk to you later. <laughs> Casual acquaintance. So does that mean that what we need to do here at Deering Christian Church is disband and call it quits and go back to first century where everybody just meets in their homes? Is that what we need to do? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. It means we're going to have to work a little harder personally if we expect to get something more from church than a few programs and an attendance star. Okay? Larry Osborne speaks to this issue in his book, Sticky Church. We, um, we got the book as a leadership team and read through the book called Sticky Church. Sticky teams, and, and the idea is it's not stinky, right? It's, it's sticky, and, and he on the front of it is, is like a picture of bees, you know? It's because building a team that sticks together, 
building a church that sticks together. And he addresses some of these issues we're going to talk about today in the book Sticky Church. JB's like, well, I'm ordering sticky teams for all of the leadership team. I'll just order Sticky Church, too. Well, I'm glad he did. It's a good book. And in that book, he talks about three big church problems. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a list. So let's, let's, let's look through that real quick. This is a big church problem. Now, like I said, we're not talking here about Saddleback Church or something like that. We're talking about a church of over 75 people. Okay. Number one, church becomes something or a place we go to rather than something we are. Do you know what ekklesia, that's the Greek word for church, for assembly in the New Testament? And that's exactly what it means. It means a group of people. It's not a place. It's not a program. It is people. And a big church problem is this. Church becomes simply a place or, or a collection of programs. Something rather than us. The people. Number two. In a big church, this can become very much a common thing. My personal relationship with Jesus is a personal, private thing. It's between me and Jesus. It's not between me, you, and Jesus. Okay? And, and the thing is, when you're, when you're in a big church, a casual acquaintance will never confront me. So I can go hide there. It's not very often somebody's going to say, so how are you doing with Jesus? Mind your business. I said I'm fine. Number three can happen in a big church. Where do we do, where do I do the one another's? I love Larry Osborne bringing this up. The one another's. Do you know that there's a lot of one another's in the Bible? And I'm putting, making it plural. It's not really ers. It's one another. There's a bunch of one another in the Bible. Okay? I mean a bunch of them in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the New Testament takes the ball and like runs with it. Okay? Um, I mean a bunch of them. I'll just give you a few of them that I just pulled just studying through, through the concordance for a little bit. And looking up another. And this is what I found. Greet one another. Comfort one another, serve one another, be devoted to one another, encourage one another, love one another, confess to one another, pray for one another, tolerate one another, accept one another. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, all right? All of one another. And this is the issue in a big church. Where do I do the one another's? Because when it talks about church in the New Testament, it talks about do these things for one another. Guys, don't get me wrong here. There is a huge, huge upside to big church. If the church is preaching the gospel, if the church is preaching, if the teachers in that church, from Sunday school to youth group, everything in between, if they are teaching the gospel, Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he alone is the way to eternal life. And this is what's taking place in a big church. The gospel is impacting lives, and that's huge. 
That is huge. That is a tremendous upside to big church. But the downside to big church is this. It takes work to get what we need. So funny. We do need some things from church, folks. We do. But it's interesting in conversations that quite often happen with people about what they need from church. What they need from church isn't what I find that they need from church from God's word. Now, this is not an exhaustive list either, but we're going to look at three things that we all need. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we need these things from church, from each other. Number one, we all need a place where we are truly known. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Everything we're going to be looking at today is is going to be relatively close together in your Bible. So please, please look it up. Ephesians chapter 5. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Now I will tell you as you're turning to there, this is not the only place that we see this kind of language in our Bibles. Matter of fact, this is Jesus talk language here, right? Ephesians 5 verses 8 and 9, it says this, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk As children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. I'm going to go ahead and read 10 for you as well. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. What does light do? It reveals things. That's what light does. Things that are hidden in the dark are no longer hidden when there is light. I love what Larry Osborne says about this. Write this, well, you write this one down, all right? You write, write in your Bible. It's worth writing. It's not scripture, but it's good. But it's one of those that I don't like all that much sometimes, all right? And it's this. There is no right to privacy in the Bible. There is no right to privacy. You can't say, hey, that's my business, and give a scripture reference to back up the assertion you just made. There is no right to privacy in the Bible. You know what happens, and you can see it in our culture. You know what happens? It goes hand in hand. It's human nature with anonymity. Sounds like I have a cold. Anonymity. Anonymity. To be anonymous. You know what happens? You take anonymity. Oh, wow. How should you start? The ability to be anonymous. And you pair it with human nature. You know what often happens? Sin. What do they say about Vegas? What happens in Vegas goes home with you, correct? That's the truth. But what they say is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Anonymity breeds sin. 
I need a place where I am truly known. I need to make it hard for myself to hide. There are some people who will go to a larger church for one reason, because it's easier to hide. Because I don't want anybody digging into my business. Because that's not fun. But there's no right to what in the Bible? Privacy. Number two. We need a place of loving support. All right, right before Ephesians, you find Galatians. I told you, we're not going to have to go too far here, all right? Galatians chapter 6. In my Bible, it's only five pages. Galatians chapter 6. This is Paul writing. Now, boy, when he got, he got after the Galatian church. They kind of had some things really mixed up, and he got after them. Now, but when you get to the latter part of Galatians, you get into some really, really practical information about day-to-day living as the church. And looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 through 5, this is what it has to say. Paul says, Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. (laughs) I just love that verse. Until it hits a little too close to home, then I don't like it so much. I just worth reading again. If anyone thinks, and ladies, I know what you're thinking. Now, I don't always like the he's and the she's or the lack of she's in the Bible, but this one's right because this is a he thing. All right? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. Then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. And then in verse 5, it says something a little confusing to me from what we just read. It says this, for each one should bear his own load. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say, Paul? And verse, like two sentences before. What did he say? Bear what? One another's burdens. And then just a little bit later, schizophrenic Paul says, each one needs to bear his or her own load. And you're like... I don't understand. Well, maybe your Bible makes it a little bit more clear, but I doubt it because it looks pretty similar in most translations from what I understand. But in the Greek, these burdens are different. In verse 2, the load that is to be bared by more than one is an incredibly heavy load. All right, I want you to think of a dump truck. Okay, that's what I want you to think of. The one in verse 5, a backpack. There's a little bit of a difference between those two. How many of you are going to throw a dump truck load of gravel on your back and walk with it? Nobody. You're going to be buried under it, okay? It's going to destroy you. But how many of you are able to throw on your back a backpack and walk down the road? I think most of us can do that. He says, the loads that you can carry, carry them. But there's some loads you cannot carry. It will bury you. There are some things too big to carry alone in this life. Bear one another's burdens. The way Larry Osborne puts it, he says this, we can choose privacy or we can choose help. We don't get both. And if you decide to go with privacy, don't expect any help. We all need a place of loving 
support because there are some burdens in this life that we can't carry alone. We were not meant to carry them alone. Our family in Christ is meant to carry them with us. Number three, we all need a place where we can personally hear the truth in love. It's also Paul's, we're not going to read it today, but it's it's Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus when he talks about speaking the truth in love. And we've spent a whole sermon on that discussion together a few years ago, how, how the truth without love will rip somebody to shreds. It's cruel, all right? But you take love without the truth, and it's just like hypocrisy because you're loving somebody, but you're not giving them anything that's going to actually help them in life. And Paul says you got to have both. you got to have the truth, and you got to have love. you got to have both. James. I told you we would get to James. That's where we're going to end up. Right after Hebrews, if you still got a finger there, we'll just turn a few pages over to James chapter 5, verse 16. Woo! This is one we don't like to look at. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. All right, I want you to think about the church in our culture. In our culture. The church in our culture has this horribly wrong. You've got the Catholic Church who believes that you go to a person in the middle and confess to, and then they give you atonement. The Protestant Church on this side cuts out the middleman and says you go directly to God when it comes to confession of sin. Both are wrong. Because we don't like to confess our sins to people. And when we are given the command to confess our sins to people, do people grant us forgiveness? No, unless we hurt them with our sin. It's God who grants the forgiveness. Well, if God is the one who grants forgiveness, then why are we to confess our sin to one another? We looked at this this summer. By the way, did you catch 516 there? One another, it's one of those one another's. You cannot do this by yourself. And that's what we do in the Protestant church is like, I can keep it to myself. I confessed it to God. And the problem with that is this, we do not get healing because we continue to carry the burden of our guilt and our shame with us. We talked about this this summer, the spiritual discipline of confession to each other so that we may be, James, healed. And rid ourselves of the burden of guilt and shame. The author of the book of James is the half-brother of Jesus. He was also the chief elder of the church in Jerusalem. And the people that he was writing this to were Hebrew Jewish Christians. And the majority of those people, because this is the way they did church at that time, they did church in homes. 
Now, there were occasions that they would gather together with a larger group, perhaps in Jerusalem in the temple or the synagogue, but that got pretty dicey, all right? So they met in homes. Let me tell you this. Is it easier in that sort of environment to feel safe enough to come to a group of people, maybe one or two, and confess something that you are ashamed of or that I am ashamed of? Yeah, it's easier. It's tough to do that in a big old group like this. And yet we are told, confess your sins to one another. Shame and guilt is crippling. And it will never allow us to become the people that God wants us to be. Therefore, We need a place where we can hear the truth in love because there are times when I'm not going to confess it, but my brother can see it and my brother can call me out. I wish that I was honest enough every time to do it without being called out. But I'm not. We all need a place where we are truly known. We need a place where we can be lovingly supported. We need a place where we can hear the truth in love. And here is the question. Honestly, you have to and I have to ask myself, what is church to you? What is church to me? Is church simply a place? Is church a collection of different programs that hopefully fit into your schedule and your tastes? Or is church simply a living thing? Church is an organism. Church specifically, according to the Bible, is the body of Christ. As I'm looking at you, I am looking at a part of the body of Christ. Church is an organism. It is alive. No assembly, no church is perfect. Because every church is made up of selfish people. Alright? And that will remain the same... Until Jesus Christ remakes the church his perfect, wonderful bride one day. Now, no no assembly, no church is perfect. But it's all we got going, folks. This is the plan put in place by God. This is what he gave to us. He gave us this Bible... He gave us the Holy Spirit within, and he gave us each other. And he said, go change the world. What are we doing with church? I got For you to do church well as an individual, it will take a strong measure of personal initiative. Because, folks, it is way too easy. Folks... Deering has been over 75 for quite some time. On a very regular basis, we more than triple that when it comes to attendance on a weekend. And what that means is, 
is by its very nature, we are at a place that it can be very easy to hide and simply slide in and slide out and never get these three things that we desperately need. I'm not going to lie to you. We've got things in place to try to help with this. Everything from Sunday school to some life groups to youth group for young people. I mean, there's some things, but guys, those things aren't perfect. All they are, they are just a means to the end. The end is this, for all of us to take the initiative to get, you know what I always want to say, involved? That's not what I'm saying. To get to know people. If we walk in and out of buildings like this on a regular basis without getting to know really anybody, we will never get from the church what God intends us to get from the church. What this means is you and I taking the initiative, not waiting for somebody else to take it, and say, you want to meet for lunch on Tuesday? By the way, my name's Jamie. How are you doing? Fine. Okay, we'll talk about that on Tuesday. Maybe it means something as simple as coming to Sunday school. I love I love our Sunday school class that we dive into the word. I love it, but what I love more is the fact I know those people. I've gotten to know them. And I feel like there's a few people in that group who really care about me and who would really ask me what they can do if my answer is, I'm not fine. It takes initiative, folks. Because skating your entire life through church is not what God intends for you. Are you going to try to hide in heaven too? The body of Christ on earth is a glimpse of his glorious body that we'll all partake in in heaven. It's not perfect. But we need to take the initiative to make it better.